Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Fashion Freelancer Podcast. I am your host, Heidi, and I just wrapped up a really, really amazing interview with one of our Freelance Accelerator students, Connie Bourgeois, who has turned her freelance career literally from something she was doing on the side while working full-time into a full-blown design agency. She has six employees working for her and she did it all in 18 months during the pandemic. Um, There's so many parts of Connie's story that I find amazingly inspiring from the good care she takes of her employees and the just passion that she puts forth in her work. You can just feel it. Um, And beyond that and the inspiration of like what a just really sustainable and good wholehearted business she's growing, she shares so many insights on how she grew, how she got those first couple clients, and then how she went from those first couple clients to getting a few more. And then the one single brilliant thing that she did, I don't think we've ever talked about this on the podcast. I don't think there's ever been another guest that has talked about this strategy. She did one thing that created a funnel to literally have clients drop in her lap. Um, In the six months since she initiated this one thing, she's gotten 10 new client referrals and four of them have turned into paying clients, which is unbelievable. And they are literally just falling in her lap. She did one thing once and then she just sat back and it like the system started working. Um, so you guys are going to love this. If you are looking to grow your freelance career or even start it, um, you could absolutely implement this thing that she talks about to generate a bunch of new leads for your business. Um, If you don't wanna grow a huge agency, that's fine too, it's not for everyone. Connie talks a lot about the pros and cons of you know, working as a, a solopreneur freelancer where, you know, you're doing all the work and you're managing everything versus now having six employees um, and and some of the pressure that that puts on her. So that might not be for you. Regardless, there's still so much value to take out of this conversation as far as building your freelance career, where to find clients, um, navigating that whole space. We also touch a little bit on what types of brands that she's working with. And I I want to say this at the very beginning because I think this is a very important important point. Um, A lot of the brands are small brands that you've never heard of. And this is what I tend to see the most with freelancers is that we work with these niche small brands. They don't have to necessarily be startups um, that that people have never heard of. It's not, as I mentioned in the interview, it's not the Gaps. It's not the J. Crews. It's not the Gucci's or the Chanel's or even the Forever 21's. It's none of those big different tiers throughout the fashion world that all the names that we know but it's small brands small brands that are one of her clients sells their product at whole foods at a grocery store so you guys there's fashion opportunity everywhere it's in these small niches that you will find the best clients and they are often the most open to working with freelancers, um, not only open to, but actually works best for them. Cause a lot of them times they're not in a position to need or warrant hiring someone full time. So, so many great things that we touch on. Um, I know that you're going to love this interview. 
If like Connie, you are interested in starting or growing your freelance business and maybe you're in a position of like, I I have a couple clients and I maybe I lucked out, how do I actually grow this? Or maybe you're in a position of like, I don't have any clients and I'd like to start. Um, I would love to share more about our freelance accelerator program with you. It's called FAST. And you can get the most information about that. It only opens a couple times a year, um, but we we share that on the email list. Um, you can head on over to soheidi.com slash freelance, S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash freelance. Go over there, sign up for the email list. We'll also send you our best free resources on freelancing so you can get kickstarted right away. And then if FAST is something that sounds like it could work for you, we will share that information a few times a year when it opens up and you can grow your freelance career and kick ass like Connie, build a flexible life that that suits you, whether you wanna, like I said, whether you wanna do freelance as a solopreneur or you wanna go full-time, figure it out and build a life that that supports you, okay? Get to set your own schedule, get the freedom and flexibility, get to work on projects you love with clients that you're really excited about, all these amazing things. The growth is unlimited out there. And I would love to help you do that through Freelance Accelerator. All right, you guys, if you love the podcast, make sure that you subscribe so you do not miss out on any episodes. And without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Connie. Here we go. Welcome, Connie, to the Successful Fashion Freelancer Podcast. Um, I know little bits of your story, and we chatted briefly um, gosh, it was probably only like a few weeks or maybe a month ago. And so I'm super excited to dive in. Um, you have like a one liner that about your career, your freelance career that I really want to share right now, but I won't spoil it. Um, I'll see if, if you drop it, otherwise I'll bring it up. Um, but outside of that random introduction I just did, why don't you (laughs) introduce yourself and let us know who you are and what you do in the fashion industry? Sure. Um, Thank you so much for having me on, Heidi. I've been a longtime listener and a student of yours. I have quite a few of your classes. Um, I found the Illustrator class that you had a while back was super helpful, even though I've been using Illustrator for 10 years. Yeah. Um, But anyway, yeah, I've been in the fashion industry in various roles for over 10 years now, I think about 13 years, actually. Um, So I have my own company. I have a design and development um, company where I work with other brands and emerging designers to help them get their their designs um, from off the paper and into fabric and full full production ready garments. I love that. Um, so tell us a little bit about where your freelance career actually started. So it started not very long ago. Um, a few months before the pandemic, I started working with a prior um, employer who kind of remained a friend of mine. And he, he just, you know, needed a designer for a small project. He didn't, he has his own company and it wasn't a big enough role to really hire a full-time designer. And I said, oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I would love to take that on. And uh, shortly after um, COVID-19 started and I was transitioning from one company to another. And so there was a lot of uncertainty with, with my role at, at my new company. And uh, the company that I had just left, I left, um, you know, with a great relationship and and I reached out to them and said, Hey, if you haven't, you know, uh, filled my role, can I help on like a contract basis? Because I, you know, 
I don't know what's going to happen with, with this new position because, yeah. you know, everybody COVID. was closing down. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It, it was just so much uncertainty and, and I was pretty freaked out to be completely honest. Um, but they were like, yeah, that, that would be great. Actually. We would, we have a lot going on still. We would love your help. So, uh, they became my second uh, freelance client. And then very quickly, prior, um, you know, colleagues I had worked with um, just through the various jobs that I had had heard that I was freelance. And so they just kind of started popping up and saying, hey, we'd love to work with you again. Uh, we didn't know you were freelance. And as soon as we heard that, we, we wanted to call you. Yeah. Now, you said something interesting to me when we talked maybe like a week or so ago that when you first got like a couple clients, you thought, oh, maybe I just got lucky with these few random clients, but I'm not sure if there's enough other work out there to like keep getting work and growing and sustaining. Like maybe this was just a one-off deal. Yes. So despite (laughs) a few clients like popping up seemingly out of the blue, I was like, okay, well, that's pretty much everyone I know that could possibly need my help. So I don't see any, I don't see any more, you know, clients popping up. And and I was, you know, talking to my husband about it, how, you know, I I still had my, my full-time role at the time and how I wanted to transition away from there, but I just didn't quite have enough work yet. And I was like, it's impossible. There, there's no more clients. I'm yeah. not going to find any more clients. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, you know, I was just so discouraged. And um, that that was definitely not true. I have found lots of clients since then. Um, I've since transitioned uh, working for myself full-time. And now I have a team yeah. of, gosh, I think uh, six, six or seven people. Oh uh, that, gosh. that worked for me. Yeah. So it, it, it grew very quickly. So there's yeah. lots of clients out there. <laughs> there are. And I, I really wanted to point that out. Cause I know I had mentioned this to you before, but it's such a common misconception that like, there's not that much work or I got this one lucky client because like you had experienced, it was someone I knew, or it was a former employer who like just brought me on because I already had this relationship and that, oh gosh, but I just lucked out with these couple of things that I can't get anymore. It was just not the case. Exactly. Yep. That's exactly how I felt. And it was yeah. totally unfounded. Yeah. So I'll just share the little quote that I was mentioning at the beginning, but you had said, my side hustle quickly became my full-time hustle. Oh, yes. Yes. That, that is true. Yeah. I, uh, I just have to share. at how quick it, <laughs> I'm so glad. I totally yeah. forgot I said that. But, That's okay. Um, yeah, definitely. That's so cool. So, okay. So you, it really all started like kind of right at COVID. So like March, 2020. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's when it's really picked up. I think I hired my first employee in May. Oh um, my gosh. It, a few months yeah, later. Exactly. I hired my first employee actually before I even was working fully for myself. I still had a full-time job oh, and I was getting wow. up at about, you know, 4.30 in the morning and working on my client projects, you know, going to work or, or logging on because I was still partially remote, um, going to work or logging on to their system at 9 a.m., working uh-huh. till 5, uh-huh. and then staying up till 9 or 10 o'clock at night working on my client projects. So oh, wow. um, I, I decided to hire someone before I even left my job uh, just to ease the transition and to continue to be able to build business and manage the client projects that I had before leaving that, um, 
you know, that comfort of a, a paycheck from, from an employer. Yeah. So gosh, what did that even look like? Cause I, I, I know other freelancers who are really, really busy. A lot of our um, freelance accelerator students who are like, I'm so busy. I think maybe I need to hire someone. But there's a lot of trepidation around that. Like, what part of the role do you have them do? Like, do you communicate that with your client? Like, what does that actually look like? So how did you structure that with your first team member? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, and it really will depend on who you hire and where their strengths lie. Sure. This particular uh, young woman, she was a new college graduate that actually went to the same college that I went to. And we had connected um, through the college. They had contacted me to be a mentor to some uh, junior and senior students. So okay. she was my mentee. So we had, you know, a professional relationship and, and she contacted me close to graduation and, and asked if I, you know, had any job leads that I could recommend to her. And, um, after thinking about it and looking at her portfolio again, she was really, really good at sketching and she had technical design experience from an internship. Okay. So I decided that she would be, you know, just a great extra set of hands for doing, um, sketch modifications to start off with. So I just had her kind of editing line sheets that I had already made mm-hmm. and editing um, illustrator sketches that I had already made. And um, pretty quickly, you know, she showed me that she could take on more. So she, I started giving her some, you know, new design work with pretty specific direction from myself. Like, okay, I want sure. a um, drop sleeve sweatshirt. I want it to be cropped. You know, I kind of explained exactly what I wanted the design to look like and she would sketch it for me. And, you know, in the beginning, I just worked with her and said, you know, why don't you add a little more shadow here? Or like, why don't you taper your pen stroke instead of having the blunt edges, just gave her some tips to improve her sketches. And she picked it up really quickly. Um, so we were mostly remote and we would just zoom, um, you know, every morning at 8am before I left to go to my (laughs) full-time job. And, and she would, um, work all day and then she would kind of email me with what she got done that day and I'd review it. And then it, uh, on the zoom the next morning, I'd explain what edits I needed or whatever. And I think, I think it's really important when you're hiring your first person to, um, make sure that they're the right fit, make sure that, that they understand your communication style and you understand theirs. I think there's a lot of talented people out there that um, might not jive with you because you know, your communication styles are so different or your their sketching style is so different from yours. It, it might be beautiful, but if it's so different from mm-hmm. yours, it, it might uh, come across disjointed to your client. Yeah. So is she still with you some year and a half later? Unfortunately, no. Um, she moved on at the time she was part-time for me and she was also interning at another fashion company and they were able to offer her full-time before I was. So they snagged her, but um, she's a great young lady and and I'm sure she's doing very well there. Well, the, the root of my question was more that it sounds like your first hire was actually a really good match, which feels really lucky. I mean, I went through multiple people when I was freelancing and then now in, in the successful fashion freelancer business, 
I went through four people before I found Tara, who's now my right-hand person. But like, I had a really big learning curve on hiring people. (laughs) And it sounds like you really got a great person. Now, unfortunately, she got a different opportunity that that she um, that worked out better for her at the time. But otherwise, you sounds like you had really good rapport, and it was working. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. She. She. Part of it was that I already kind of knew her yeah. and from being her mentor throughout some of her college projects, I already knew her work ethic. Yeah. Um, so then actually the one that replaced her, she recommended to me. It was a friend oh, of hers from gotcha. college. Okay. And yeah, so that, that worked out great. She still works for me. She became my first full-time um, employee awesome. and she's now, um, you know, pretty much my main designer and yeah. she's been great. So I think a, a recommendation from someone that it's you trust. Huge. Yeah. When you're hiring is, is worth so much. I mean, it will yeah. save you so much money For just, sure. you know, having that sort of filtering process already kind of done for you by someone that you trust. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, recommendations do go so far. And that's why I always talk about like inside of fast and, and elsewhere that becoming friends with other freelancers is actually a really big benefit to your career. People get all nervous. They're like, Oh, but it's my competition. It's actually not, um, building those relationships and, and having those contacts is how I know most freelancers can grow very quickly through referrals. I totally agree. I, I connected with another freelancer on LinkedIn yeah. and she, she's been, um, actually a client of mine and also a referral. Like we refer yeah. each other to various clients like, Oh, she does children's wear. Yep. I don't really do that. So I definitely send them her way. Yeah. And, you know, we share factory contacts yeah. and, and just, you know, tips and tricks along the way. It's, I think it's, it's great to have, uh, you know, friends in the business that are doing something similar to you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, okay. So let's step back a little bit. You, you had your first couple of clients that came pretty organically through people you already knew in the industry and you were kind of like, oh, okay, this happened, but it's a fluke. Um, and then I think it was about a similar time that you enrolled in Freelance Accelerator because you were like, I got to figure out how to find more clients and like actually grow this. Um, so what happened then? Like, how did you get to the point where you were lucky, air quote, lucky with a couple clients to, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so busy. I have to hire someone. And And then like, at which point did you quit your day job and obviously hire more people. Cause now you said you have a team of like six or seven. Um, like how did all of that momentum grow, you know, from I'm lucky to, Oh my gosh, I'm so busy. I have all these, I have to hire employees. Sure. So I, um, I got a couple of clients from joining your Facebook group, the successful freelancer peer group, the peer chat. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, just from people posting, um, you know, job leads, like, Hey, here's a yeah. client that, you know, I couldn't help, but maybe some, one of you can. And yeah. so I reached out to a couple of those potential clients and, uh, three of them, you know, turned into paying clients that That's I'm amazing. still working with. Oh, really? Yeah, amazing. That, t- totally. So even though, like I told you, I, um, got so busy, I never got through all of the modules, but yeah. <laughs> I will. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> um, it totally, you know, it totally paid for itself just and and the connections that I made in that Facebook group and, and finding new clients through yeah. that group. That yeah. was, that was amazing. And I'm, you know, there's so much value there. So thank you for that. 
And then um, from there, I actually was able to increase some of the work that my my two first clients um, had, you okay. know, as their companies were growing, they were leaning on my team more and more. So I was able to increase our monthly retainer. Okay. And then um, from there, I, I took a trip out to LA and I set up appointments to meet with uh, factories and fabric mills. Okay. I and knew, you, you know, I was in... I live in the Midwest. I live in St. Louis, Missouri. Louis. Right. Okay. Yep. Okay. So, you so go to I LA. decided, you know, yeah. it's, it's time to make a trip out there. I, and I had been there many times over the years, uh, for working with past companies, but sure. it wasn't, it wasn't to find factories. It was more to visit brands that we had licenses to design for. So I was visiting uh, their design team yep. and, you know, uh, we would do a design brief and then you know, I'd come back and, and design their accessory line or, or their bag line or whatever it was. Um, so I really ha- didn't have a lot of experience with U.S. manufacturers and uh, fabric sources. So I decided to go out there. And while I was there, I made appointments with, uh, I think, three or four different cut and sew factories and three different fabric sources. And at the same time, I just gave them my card and said, here's what I do. Um, if, if any potential clients approach you and they're not ready for a factory. They don't have tech packs or, you know, they don't, they're not ready. Just send them my way and and I'll be glad to help them and then send the business to you when it's time to manufacture. Yeah. So that worked great. I've got tons of leads from that. And that has helped me to not only maintain relationships with those factories, but uh, coming recommended by a factory to a potential client is worth a lot. So yeah. that's definitely helped to grow our business. Yeah. That trust factor is like, like you said earlier, when you get a recommendation from someone, it instantly has more, um, credibility that like, okay, yeah, this is a person I'm going to check out. than some, someone you don't get a recommendation for someone you don't get connected to. Exactly. Exactly. Because it's kind of like that person that referred them, they've already vetted them. They've already have enough experience with them that that you can feel confident that, you know, they know what they're doing. Now, did you, so you, you were new to the factories and the factories were new to you or the suppliers or whoever it was. Um, sounds like it was mostly factories. I would imagine that those, that you sort of built that referral funnel through. Um, do you feel like, just going out there and having that hour long, like initial, or approximately, I imagine an hour long initial meeting was enough for both of you to trust each other, for you to be like, okay, this is a good factory that I can refer my clients to, and then vice versa. Yes. So, of course, some of the factories I visited, I ended up not working with okay. uh, for various reasons. Um, but yeah, I, you can get a really good feel for a factory by by being there. And, you know, I I always ask, can I see, uh, the cutting floor? Can I see the sewing floor or, or whatever? Uh, sometimes they just have an office and if they're not willing to show you where the garments are actually being cut and sewn, that's a big red flag. Totally. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so luckily most of them were like, yeah, sure. You know, let me show you around. And, um, you know, you just, you look for things like, is it really hot in there or, you know, is there ventilation? Um, so, and, and also it gives you an idea of, of their quality because you can see the products like coming off of the sewing line and you see, 
you know, what kind of fabrics they're working with and how many people are there sewing. And, and usually they'll introduce you to their pattern maker if they have one or their cutter. And you can kind of get a feel for how long has that person been in business. And, you know, typically if they're older, they have more experience and, and you'll feel a little bit more confident yeah. um, in what's going on there. Yeah. So you just went with your gut and said, okay, this is going to be good. And and it, it sounds like they kind of went with their gut with you and it it's worked. Yeah. So I brought um, some samples and some tech packs of current projects. Oh yeah. So beautiful. I could okay. show them, you know, these are some things that I'm working on. These are specific, um, you know, items that I'm looking to have made. Here's my tech pack. So that kind of gave them an idea of how experienced am I? Yeah, so they were able you. to see. Wow, she has a uh, exactly. She has a very thorough tech pack with very yep. clear sketches with yep. all the you know the stitch lines and the construction and um, a very comprehensive um, how to measure guide and and all of the specs and the grade rules. So they're like, oh, this isn't just like a sketch with like two or three measurements drawn on sure. it. This is a full tech pack. She yeah. knows what she's doing. Right. So I think that that probably helped a lot and, did, and them yeah. gaining trust in me. Okay. Okay. I love this. So when did you go? Cause so pandemic hit Mar- March, 2020. When did you go out there? Like when, when was that accessible for travel? So I went out there March, 2021. Okay. Gotcha. So a whole year later. So we're recording in September, 2021. So like, what's that? Like six months ago. Yes. Okay. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. So, um, and it sounds like, I mean, that turned around pretty quickly. They've been funneling you a fair amount of clients, it sounds like, in just six months. Oh, yeah. I think I've probably gotten at least 10 client leads. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Probably four of them have turned into actual clients. Paying projects. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's so smart. I love... So first of all, this is what I'll say. Um, I am... Now, I don't want to discount people's hesitant hesitations to, you know, travel. Like obviously the pandemic is still happening. We're not totally safe. Whether or not you're vaccinated is a personal choice. Um, but I do still hear from a lot of people saying things like, well, I can't go to the factories because of COVID, because of COVID, because of COVID. Um, I can't source fabric. I can't do this. I can't do that. And so I'm not here to like judge people's personal decisions on whether or not they're comfortable given the current, you know, world situation. Um, but but I love that you took the initiative to go out there to do it and to not only because it was going to be a beneficial resource gathering trip for you to then provide your clients with new factory contacts, new supplier contacts, but also it's like a funnel Instead of just going to one brand and landing one new client, you're going to like a middleman that ultimately can f- act as a funnel to continue feeding you new leads. It's just so smart. Thank you. Yeah, it, <laughs> it just it turned out great. And when I went out there, that wasn't necessarily my plan. I was just trying. Oh, to it find wasn't new. F- not, not really. It was just, um, I was trying to find new factories and, you know, domestic suppliers. And then while I was there, I just, you know, said, Hey, by the way, if anyone comes to you that that's not ready for your services, send them my way. And they were like, Oh yeah, that happens all the time. time. You know, people are always, people are always calling us and and they have no clue what they're doing. And I was like, well, yeah, send them my way. I'm happy to help. And, And so 
that that turned out to be a great kind of spur of the moment, just conversational just thing that, that really worked yeah. out. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I think that, so for people listening, I think that you could absolutely make this um, a strategic thing though. And and if you, if you don't want to travel, if you're not comfortable yet traveling, um, you know, do do the connection digitally, um, send a really great email initiating, you know, that you're looking for factories for your clients. And then I think you can also thread in and maybe after you get your foot in the door, you kind of open up that other part of the conversation. Um, but it's just a win-win on so many levels. So I I just think it's really cool that you did that. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It it worked out for me. So, you know, I took a chance and, and it worked out. Yeah. So, okay. When did you quit your day job? So that was in February of 2021. Wow, so I did you the, double, the doubling down. Girl, you like yeah, to work. For almost a year. <laughs> yeah. Were you so now exhausted? Does, <laughs> yes, I really, really was. Now it does help that that I don't have any children. Yeah. If I had, I it's a whole I, different I can, life. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I can appreciate that that probably would not have been possible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I held out for as long as I could. <laughs> did they know that you were freelancing on the side? They did. Uh, yeah. And, and at, at first they were okay with it, but I think over time, um, and, and they were really not sure what they wanted to do with the department. They had actually hired me on, uh, to start the product development department. Um, prior to that, they were more of a, a blanks company. They would buy blanks oh, and decorate them and, okay. and sell them. Got it. So they had hi- hired me to start um, producing their own products, um, but they they didn't really have that that whole plan fleshed out. I was kind of the first hire, and so when COVID happened, they kind of froze all spending in that area. And, sure. and as I'm just one person. There's only so much I can do. Uh, so I, I think that some expectations on their end were ha- had to get realigned and they had to shift their budget around. So it was kind of a mutual, um, you know, a mutual departure and, right. and there's no, no bad blood there on either side. But, and so it sounds like there, it never really got to a point where the work that you were doing in your day job was ever even close to being competitive to your, to the work that you're doing as a freelancer, as far as like the product categories and and the items. No, it, yeah. it wasn't. Okay. It wasn't. Um, they were more in the sports, um, uniform arena okay. and most of the projects that I do for my clients are more like, um, fashion, you gotcha. know, not not really uniforms or anything like that. So the product itself, uh, did not compete. Um, I think, you know, they were kind of trying to figure out how to save money. They actually, uh, as far as I know, did not replace me. And I think they kind of put that whole, uh, program and expansion plan kind of on hold. So I, I was really grateful that, you know, they kept me on through the pandemic, um, being a new department that probably was not bringing them much, uh, in revenue. So, you know, I was grateful for that and, um, the experience was valuable for me. Yeah. And so I bring that up just because a lot of people are like, well, how do I freelance alongside my full-time job? And I'm like, well, you can't do like directly competitive stuff. It's just not an option. So pivot, pivot as much as you need. And 
And even if it's not like your number one choice, even if maybe your day job, it, let's say you loved uniforms and you wanted to do uniforms, well, kickstart your freelance career doing something kind of other than uniforms. And then once you're able to leave your day job, then you could go into that field. Um, so that was really why I brought the question up because it beco- it comes up a lot with with people who are um, trying to figure out how to, you know, how to start it as a side hustle, right? Yeah, the, you do have to be very careful. That's a great point because you don't want to burn any bridges. No. Um, you know, e- even if you really don't like where you're working and you you don't care for the company or the management or whatever. I mean, sure that happens, but this is a very small industry yes. and maintaining your relationships um, is really really important, and yeah. that can help you get clients later because maybe you end up leaving that job, but if you maintain a good relationship. You have no idea in the future uh, what what people at that company or the company itself they they may reach out to you. Yeah. Um, so you you definitely do not want to be working on directly competitive product. No, for and, sure. And uh, and and you know you just you got to keep it quiet if if you have a feeling that they'll have a problem with it. Um, now they can't control what you do in your own time, and you also have to take into consideration if they had you sign anything, yeah. you know, some companies ask that you sign an NDA or a non-compete or, or whatever. So you, you do have to make sure you're following the contracts that you sign with mm-hmm. your employer. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. You do not want to burn any bridges because those, those relationships and contacts you have really, you never know. Things can come around in three years that can be really fruitful for both of you. And, um, and if you burn the bridge, people talk and it is a really small industry. <laughs> 100%. Even if you never plan to work with them it again, doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, they, they will talk to people. So yeah. Yeah. you, you want to, you want to keep your reputation clean and amicable and, yeah. and, and be known as someone that's honest and, and trustworthy and, and sure. easy to work with. Yeah. So I don't think you always necessarily need to be like, I'm going to freelance on the side, or do I have permission to freelance on the side? Um, like you said, you, you're in, they're not in control of what you do in your free time, but you need to make sure that you're not stepping on anyone's toes and be respectful. And if, if you know, do like a really good moral gut check on this stuff. And I would err on the side of caution and just lean a little bit further if you're like, oh, this still feels like a fuzzy line. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, and it depends on how active you are in in the company's social media. So if if you're like a well-known designer at the company and they're using your likeness in their advertising or their their LinkedIn or, or their Instagram, you really have to be careful how you're putting yourself out there on your personal page when it, you know, when it comes to freelancing, because yeah, it's just, you got to be careful. And like you said, just follow your gut and and try to do right by everyone involved. Yeah. There's smart ways to do it. Um, okay. So you're like major, major hustling for a year. I'm like tired for you right now. (laughs) And then you get to go in full time. Um, you, how many people do you have working for you at this point? Was it still just that one young woman? Did you still have her? Yes. So she's full time. Uh, we now have a full time marketing person. Um, she works on some of our clients, e-commerce projects, as well as we do some like Instagram and social media, um, marketing, digital marketing, not marketing for your company. Okay. She she does both. Oh, she does. Okay. Um, Yep. And then we have a, a part-time technical designer. Um, and then we have a, a newly part-time, she's still in college, but she's been doing really, really well. 
she kind of is a sort of a hybrid. She does design. She does technical design. She does a lot of uh, garment measuring and assisting with fittings. Um, then we have an intern and then our CFO, uh, who's also my husband, um, <laughs> he, he still has his full-time job, but, uh, he's getting very sick of doing both because yeah. it's requiring a lot, a lot more of his attention. Yeah. So now he's kind of doing what I did, oh, okay. um, you know, doing the side hustle and, uh, but you know, it's great when you have uh, supportive family members. Yeah, that's amazing. So, um, talk to me a little bit about now. It sounds like most, if not all, of your clients are remote. Meaning, like not uh, in St. Louis. Most of them are correct. Um, I would say actually about half of them are remote, and half of them are here in St. Louis. Okay. So I want to point out a couple things on that first, because um, Allison Hainis, who's another very successful fashion freelancer, who is one of our Freelance Accelerator students, also lives in St. Louis. I know that you know her. And yep, yep. Yeah, but I want to point out, because a lot of people are like, well, I don't live in a fashion hub. Well, let me tell you, St. Louis is not a fashion hub. And there's no. <laughs> clearly enough work for two of you, if not not if not, and definitely many more. You guys, it does not matter where you live. First of all, I guarantee you that there is some fashion where you live. And beyond that, your clients do not have to be where you live. So talk a little bit about, you mentioned um, you've got, uh, a, it sounds like a new hire who is kind of a hybrid and she does a lot of things. She does some like fittings and garment measuring. Talk about how you run those processes remote. Cause I get a lot of questions, people saying like, well, how do I like fit a garment remote or how do I, you know, talk about fabric remote? There's a lot of questions about some of these really tactile, uh, processes in the design and development, um, uh, process that we do that, I think on paper can feel hard to do remote. So people get really hung up on that. How are you managing it? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, one of the things that you have to take into consideration with remote clients is everything is going to take longer mm -hmm. um, simply because you're going to be shipping back and forth to your client. Whereas if they were in the same city, you could just set up, you know, a weekly meeting and sure. look at swatches in person do fittings in person with remote clients. You can't do that. So my first recommendation is to just, if you, if your standard development time takes six months, well, now it's going to take nine months. Sure. You have to add time. Um, so what we do is we get the swatches or the samples or whatever it is, um, here at our office first, we review them. Um, we make some internal notes, like if it's a garment, for example, we'll measure everything, compare it to the specs that we requested, kind of write out our findings, our fit analysis. Then we ship it to the client. If there's only one, I try to get multiple pieces, but uh, working domestically, that's very expensive. So we usually just get one fit sample. Okay. So we'll fit it. Um, we'll fit it in person here and then we ship it to the client and then they can try it on themselves or whoever, if they have a fit model. And then we, we do a zoom. Yep. So, uh, we'll kind of go through all the things that we saw. We'll say, okay, well, we noticed that, you know, the sleeve, uh, cap needs a little extra. It's kind of kicking out at the, the bottom of the sleeve, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. We'll point out the things that we saw and then we'll, we'll see what, what the client says. Um, usually they agree with most of our recommendations as they hired us, uh, because we're the expert, but then there might be some actual styling or, or fit, um, 
you know, nuance that they had in their head that they wanted that maybe this didn't quite achieve. So then we'll hear, um, you know, like, oh, we thought we want it to be a little bit more tapered through the waist Mm -hmm. or the sleeve is just baggier than I wanted it. So whatever the thing is, and then we'll say, okay, um, can you pin it where you'd like it? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of back and forth. So after that uh, Zoom fitting, they'll then ship the item back to us Mm -hmm. and we'll typically keep it throughout the next uh, round of revision so that we compare the second proto to the first proto and and so on. Okay. So it's just, I mean, UPS is going to be your friend. So, (laughs) (laughs) which I'm pretty sure that like all the shipping companies experienced a huge boom from COVID, but also from all of the remote fashion freelancers out there like you that are kicking so much ass. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. Our, our UPS guy, he pretty much knows us all by name at oh, this point. Yeah, I love that. You always make a good relationship with the UPS guy or the FedEx guy. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so then are, are all of your clients in the U.S.? Right now, yes. Um, I would love to get some European clients because they are just, they always have such fun and creative, uh, different aesthetic a lot of times than than the U.S. But um, right now, yes, we, all the clients are here in the U.S. Okay. Which kind of makes sense because you went to the U.S. factories to, you know, I mean, you got some great leads through the Freelance Accelerator uh, Facebook group and then you, but then going to the uh, U.S. factories that's going to produce U.S. clients. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so you've been doing this for a year and a half, almost exactly. You have six or seven team members. Like, not only were you able to grow enough of a career to, like, sustain yourself, you are sustaining other people and partially your husband, which is so amazing. Um, how does it feel to have gone from, like, I turned my side hustle into my full-time hustle <laughs> and have gone from, I mean, you literally told me you were like telling your husband, oh gosh, this is a fluke. Like, I don't think I can grow this. This isn't possible. To now like, you're running a legit like design agency, insane, in 18 months. How does that feel? Oh gosh, there's so many different emotions that that come along with it. I mean, I'm definitely very, very proud. I'm, um, I, I get a lot of, you know, job satisfaction. I love what I'm doing and I love that I'm able to give, uh, jobs to other designers and creatives and, yeah. and people, um, especially in St. Louis where there's not tons of opportunity in this industry. I'm, I'm so happy that I can, you know, give them opportunity to do something that they enjoy doing. Yeah. And, and at the same time, you know, I won't lie to you, Heidi, it is scary. It's, there's definitely, um, a pressure because now these, my employees are depending on me to be able to get paid on time and and pay their bills. So, um, it's great. Um, I, I love it and I definitely would not be doing anything else, but it is a little bit scary. And and some people that maybe don't handle pressure well would struggle with that aspect of, of knowing that Every other Friday, these people are depending <laughs> that their paycheck that is in the bank account. Money in the bank, yeah. Right, yeah. right. So there's definitely um, a lot of other aspects of running a business that um, maybe don't come naturally to creatives or designers or it, we're just not taught in design school, right. you know, how, how to balance a budget and, and how to... Um, pay your taxes and how to set up a company. There's, there's a lot that, um, that you're not taught that 
can be, that can be scary, but um, I definitely recommend reaching out to people that are experts in those areas to to help you build that foundation. Yeah. So first of all, you don't have to take your freelance career to this level. You can you know, be a solo freelancer and that works for many people. Like I think a lot of people wouldn't want the pressure that you're talking about and wouldn't want maybe the business and financial logistics to juggle. Um, so that's fine. Then just don't get to that stage, which puts you in a really powerful position where you're able to like really, really, really pick and choose your clients. You can then start raising your rates. If you're like that busy with work, then you, you are just in control and you get to just be really particular about what you do and don't want to work on. Um, but that that aside, is that what you, it sounds like what you did then was just slowly get outside help as you needed to grow like the business side of things, like uh, balancing your budget. And I mean, there's definitely some, some business stuff as you grow to the scale and you bring other people on. It's a lot simpler to just manage it when it's yourself. Um, Yes. Is that what you did? Did you like hire a CPO? Well, your husband's a CFO, so he obviously has some numbers background. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, um, but but to your earlier point, that's so true. As a designer, you definitely do not need to grow it into this multi-employee business. Um, You know, at the beginning, I I could have walked away from my day job once I had those first two clients, and you know, financially, I would have been fine. Yeah. it's just, I, I knew that there was more creative opportunities out there that I didn't want to turn down, okay. but I knew that I couldn't do them all myself. So okay. that's why I ultimately decided to grow. Um, but yeah, my, so my husband, he has an MBA, so he has a, a very, um, you know, knowledgeable business background and education. And he also, um, you know, he spent various roles as a data analyst and, um, you know, works in various aspects of IT. And so all of the kind of numbers things and IT and like getting systems set up and systems integrated, he's really good at that. So I was very lucky that, that I had someone by my side that was like, Oh, Hey, your employees should probably all be using, you know, an online server so that they can access all the files remotely. And I'm like, (laughs) great idea. Can you please make that happen? Yeah. 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 Um, so if I didn't have him, I definitely probably the first thing I would have hired was a accountant or CPA or sure. somebody that could help handle um, payroll and just making sure that I was set up properly. Because the most important thing to me is that my employees get paid. Yeah. Um, you know, that growing up in a, a, a less financially stable atmosphere and, you know, early days through college being financially stable was uh, not my reality. So that's something (laughs) that I definitely want my employees to feel that working for me, they don't ever have to worry about that. So that was my number one priority is if I'm hiring someone, I'm making sure that I can pay them and not just having the money in the bank, but making sure that um, it's set up that they get paid correctly. And and so I think um, growing slowly allows you to set those things up properly. Now, the way it sounds, we grew very quickly. But, yeah, I was going to say, um, I don't feel like you grew very slow. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it kind of happened slowly in the beginning and it allowed us to set up, you okay. know, I didn't, I only had one employee for probably uh, seven or eight months okay. until I started hiring. Then I got another one and then another one. And so they kind of came quickly after that. But, okay. you know, we spent, we spent the first six, seven, eight months, um, 
setting up these systems to foster growth and to be able to handle the company growing. Right. Would you be comfortable sharing a a range of like what your um, gross revenue might be for this year, 2021? Like where you guys are are at as a business? Uh, so I don't fully know because <laughs> I did ask your husband. Handles that. <laughs> um, it's still fairly modest. I think we're our gross revenue is probably around two hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand. Okay. Um, and most of you know we're when also when I started the company, it's not my goal to become a millionaire. You okay. know, yeah. off of this, it's yeah. it was important to me to start a company that employees felt valued and they felt that their ideas mattered and that that they were not disposable or replaceable. Which is often how people feel in fashion. Yeah. Yes. I've worked in so many different places where I was made to feel that way. And, and that's really not true. Each person has their own unique perspective and, and sure you could find another designer, but they're not going to have the same exact skills and perspective. Mm -hmm. So I, it was really important to me that that my employees, you know, feel uh, respected. They feel like they can be themselves, and they feel valued financially as well as um, creatively. Yeah. So a lot of our revenue, um, you know, goes to our employee salaries, and yeah. it, it goes to uh, making sure that they have all the tools that they need. So at the end of the year, you know, we might not have made a huge profit, but yeah. that's fine with me. We're, yeah. we're still growing and we're investing in our employees and, and I'm taking them with me to LA or New York, even though I don't really need to, I yeah. could do the trip on my own, yeah. but I want them to also have that experience. So, I you know, that. I'm fine with, with our, our, our profit going into our employees and, and, and into the business in that way. Yeah. And you know what I, so first of all, I really applaud you for that because it's very opposite of how the majority of fashion brands operate. Um, I, I mean, maybe I can't say the majority, but a lot. There's a bad stereotype, right? And I think that sometimes that stereotype is often true. Um, and investing in your employees and your team, or even if, because are they all employees or are some of them contractors slash freelancers? Uh, they're all employees for they're the all most employees. part. Yeah. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Um Regardless, whether they're employees or contractors or freelancers, I think investing and supporting, investing in and supporting those people is so powerful. I, I, I've heard it somewhere before. I think it's kind of like the Costco philosophy for those who are familiar. Like they, they, the gap between the pay from the people who are on the floor at Costco versus like the top executives is really small in relation to most other companies. Most other companies pay the people on the floor who are interacting with the customers the lowest. But the truth of the matter is when you pay your people a fair wage and you really, really take care of them, that reflects in their work, in their attitude, in their um, demeanor towards the customer, the client, if they're interacting with them. And guess what? That comes full circle in whether or not that customer decides to come back to you for more work, to hire you on for more work, to then refer you to someone else. It's really a snowball effect in taking care of all of those people who are touching the product in whatever way they're touching it. Like, again, even if they're not having interaction with the client, you really get out of people what you put into them, and you do have to take care of them. I'm a firm believer. 100% agree. Yeah. 100%. 
I appreciate that. So I just had to go off on that little tire. I take very good care of Tara, um, and we talk about it all the time, but it, it comes around full circle in such, so many ways. So I applaud you for doing that because a lot of people do not. Um, they do see people as disposable, which is really crummy. Right. We're all people. We're right. not disposable. It's, it's, it's awful. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, we've all been treated that way. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not of the mindset of, oh, well, I had to deal with it, so you do too. No. no I'm, I'm not trying to perpetuate that cycle. Yeah. Not at all. I had to deal with it, so I don't want you to have to deal with it because it sucks. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. So, like, what are your plans for the future? Like the next 12 months, holy cow, I can't imagine where you're going to be. Are you, are you feeling good? Like you're like, okay, we've got a great team. The amount of work coming in is good. Are you actively working on getting more clients and growing? Like what's your plan? Yes. So right now the workload is, um, pretty, pretty tight. Like all my, (laughs) all my people are very, very busy and I would, I would love to be able to bring on, uh, one or two more people. So But, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, we don't quite have the funds to hire another person, but like we almost have the work to. So then you got to say, all right, do we raise our rates? Do we find another client? You know, so we are actively um, looking to grow. We are seeking new clients and we're looking into um, expanding our space and and getting a a full office right now, just the the first floor of our three-story home is totally dedicated to the office. Okay. Gotcha. And, uh, (laughs) so, so we're hoping to transition that into a commercial space, um, within the next year. That's one of our goals. And, oh gosh, it just slipped. I had a question lined up there. Um, oh my gosh, it slipped my mind. Okay. So you're looking to grow. You're on the first floor of your house. Three-story house. That sounds pretty awesome. Um, and Thank you. Yes. It's yeah. this old Victorian home and oh, I, I love it. <laughs> I love it. antique detail. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Our last house was built in the forties and it had all these great little intricate details. The house we're in now is a little bit newer and it does, it's a great house, but it doesn't quite have the same feel as an old home. Right. Right. Um, Oh, I know what I was going to ask. What is like your, your niche? Like what type of clients do you specifically serve? I know you said you don't really do kids. You do, and you don't do uniforms, but like (laughs) if you had to summarize like who you are as an agency, what type of clientele you, you, if you were to go out and like actively look, who's that person? So I've, I've been trying to define it and we're still fairly broad, but, uh, the word that always comes to mind is, um, lifestyle. So we do a lot of, um, athleisure and active wear. Mm -hmm. We also do, um, outerwear is like one of my favorite categories. And then we do a lot of, uh, resort. Okay. So it's kind of, it's pretty broad. And, and that's part of why I, um, you know, hired the people that I hired, they each have kind of a different skill set. Like mm-hmm. one is better in accessories. One is better in, uh, you know, women's wear, but, um, I would say, you know, lifestyle is just, it's very broad, but, yeah. um, we're, we're still deciding how narrow we want to make our niche. I would say about 90% of our products is women's, uh, 
apparel and okay. accessories. And then we do, um, some men's apparel, mostly in the athleisure or like, um, kind of active, uh, recreational active, I right. would say. Understand, understand. And then, and so what type of accessories are you guys doing for the women's? We do quite a few. We do, um, scarves, we do kind of like poncho slash Rwanda, um, sort of one size fits all wearables. Okay. We do socks and oh. hats. We do a, we wow. do lots and lots of head, headwear. Oh, yeah. interesting. So like your baseball caps, straw hats, beach hats, um, beanies, you name it. If it's a hat, we do it. Oh, wow. Interesting. And what types of brands are these? Are, is it a lot of startups or some of them are a little bit more established? Who, who's the client? So quite a few of them are startups. Um, One of them is established and their main retailer is actually Whole Foods. Oh, That's a really fun, a really fun one. Um, It's called Quagga Green Label and we design all sustainable accessories. So everything is made from either recycled polyester, organic cotton or lensing modal, and it's all made in an ethical factory. So we really love that one and we get a lot of freedom when it comes to design and, and seeing it in Whole Foods is really fun. Yeah. Has it been a long enough time that you've been working with them that you've actually gotten to see the f- product? Cause I know it takes forever sometimes to get into the store. Yes. Yes. Actually, um, that's one of the companies that I worked for as an employee. So I've been oh, working okay. on that brand, uh, since 2000, uh, 2017. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so so it's yeah. been, yeah, it's been a few years. So we've seen the product, um, cycle through the stores yeah. and, and, you know, seeing it on, on people has been really, really fun. That's super cool. I want to point something out too, to everybody listening. Connie just told us about a client whose product is sold at a grocery store and I, it's Whole Foods, but, but, uh, I just had a conversation on, uh, uh, through stories on Instagram the other day about, um, like, where's the most random place you've bought clothes. And some people were like, Oh, you know, the grocery store, um, the gas, yeah. I had to buy underwear at the gas station once. And, <laughs> and then one person replied and said, I'm a technical designer for Aldi and Aldi's a grocery store here in the United States. Um, and the funny thing yeah. is I had actually forgotten this until they said that. And I was like, I designed product that went to Costco. And actually, the funny part was <laughs> right. that the whole the whole conversation started because I bought a sweatshirt at Costco, um, and I was like, "Who buys their clothes at Costco?" Because sometimes I do, um, and it was leopard print, so I was like, "I couldn't not." But um, oh yeah, of course, yeah, it's like so on brand for me. But my point is that fashion is everywhere, clothes are everywhere, and it is often not these typical brands that you think of, whether that's you know, the big luxury stuff like Chanel or Gucci or even, you know, the really mainstream stuff like Gap and J. Crew. Um, of course those brands exist, but I have found that most of like the freelancing success is in these random brands that you've never heard of and then sometimes are even sold at the grocery store. Um there's, and sometimes you might do things that are a little more glamorous and, and glamorous is, I don't know, subjective. And, and to me, I never really cared about doing glamorous work. Um, so it didn't really matter to me. I loved the process more than I cared, you know, if this is some gorgeous thing that's going to run down, go down the runway, it didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. But my point right. is that there's so many brands out there that you don't know the names of, you don't even know that they exist. And sometimes they're at the grocery store that are 
And those are actually the brands that I have found are the easiest to break into as a freelancer. Now, clearly you had worked there as an employee, but, um, you know, I, I just point this out because there's so much more opportunity and so many more clothes and brands. And I think people let themselves believe just because you like think of all, what do you see like on the runway or what do you see? Like what stores are at the mall? It's so much further beyond that. Oh, totally. Because when you think about it, all the brands that come to mind are ones that spend lots and lots of money in advertising. Totally. That's why you know their name. Yeah. So these other brands that, that have no advertising budget, but maybe they have, you know, a connection at Cracker Barrel or, yeah. you know, <laughs> Rural King, like even yeah, these yeah, yeah. farm stores in these, sure. in these small towns, like they carry uh, clothing and, and someone's making that and someone's yeah. designing that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, this industry can be a little bit snobbish and I have found that, um, letting go of that mindset of like, Oh, I I only want to do like glamorous high fashion brands. You know, that's great if that's all you want to do. Um, you know, there, there has to be designers that do that, but there's a lot of opportunity in these niche, uh, grocery store brands or these, um, you know, different farm stores that you would never think of but you know women that live in those small towns they want to dress cute and they want to wear cute stuff and sometimes that's the only place they have to shop for sure for sure and I'll just be blunt in saying that the glamorous stuff if you want to do it that's great but guess what is a lot more competitive and you're gonna get paid a lot less because it is competitive and I have not worked for glamorous brands ever so I can't say firsthand but I know stories from all the people I've interviewed on the podcast that it also tends to be a lot more drama and a lot more abuse and a lot more of the toxic workspace breeds in in those types of places. Now, this is a big blanket stereotype based on what I have heard stories from guests. And so I'm sure there's times when it's not true. But as a general statement, um, and I found in my freelance career of over a decade, none of my clients, which were all these, you know, random brands you'd never heard of, being sold at Costco and like other places, um, no drama no toxicity, like just good old people like doing work. And, and that really worked for my personality. So, so just be mindful when you're thinking about what type of clients you might want to work with. There's a lot of pros and cons. Absolutely. And you have to weigh those against your values and, and your, um, your mental capacity to deal with, um, you know, negativity. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Connie, this has been amazing. I am so impressed with you and so proud of you and really, really love your story and your ambition and how hard you, I mean, clearly you're a very hard worker and you really deserve all the success. Um, but I, I just applaud you on so many levels for, for building this and doing it in such like a right way and really taking care of your people and your team. Um, and kicking so much butt. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can everybody find and connect with you online? And maybe someone's looking for a job or maybe someone is looking for a design agency like yours to help them with their, their brand. Oh, thank you, Heidi. I really, really enjoyed uh, talking with you. And and thank you for saying all that. That really means a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you can find us on Instagram at congetta.designs. Okay. Uh, that's C O N J E T T A dot design. Okay. And our, I think our LinkedIn is the same, uh, Conjetta Designs. Okay. 
Awesome. We will link to all of that in the show notes. And I would love to end the interview with a question I ask everybody at the end of the show. And that is, what is one thing people never ask you about being a fashion freelancer that you wish they would? Oh gosh, why didn't I prepare for this question? (laughs) (laughs) I know you always ask it. Um, So I, I wish that, that people would ask more about, um, more about the technical aspect. Most people that don't know much about the fashion industry, they just think like, oh, you make a pretty drawing and you send it somewhere and then you get this beautiful garment back. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I wish more people uh, would ask about what really goes into creating clothing. And um, and I, I hope that would lead to a better understanding of, of why sustainable items cost what they cost because they do cost more. And, um, I wish that more consumers understood all the, the people that, that are working to get that dress in your hands, uh, for $20, you know, Mm -hmm. from those fast fashion retailers. And, and I wish that they asked more questions about, about that so that they understood the true cost of fast fashion and, um, why they should be willing to spend a little bit more for sustainable and ethically sourced items. Yeah. I love these conversations and I think it's something, um, it's definitely a common talking point on the podcast that people bring up as far as like, what would you like to talk more about? But yeah, there is so much more that goes into it. And again, there's people like to go back to your comments earlier, there's people behind the scenes that are putting their time and their energy and their livelihood into it. Like you said, they're not disposable and they're people like, are they the, are they the people that are sitting there drawing the flats and doing the tech packs? Or maybe they're the people that are sitting in the factory making the product. And is it, is it comfortable temperature? Is it ventilated? Right. There are so many people and moving parts behind the scene and they're not disposable. No person in this world is disposable. We're all people. So I really appreciate, um, yeah, your mindset and, and, uh, you clearly are very um, driven to really foster a healthy dynamic from start to finish for the whole design to development process. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Heidi. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Connie. It was really lovely to have you and hear all about your story. And we'll have to have you on for a follow-up interview in a year or so um, to get some updates because I'm sure you'll have many. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. Thank you so much for your time, Heidi. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Successful Fashion Freelancer Podcast. I really appreciate each and every one of you being here with us. As a reminder, I am your host, Heidi. And I also have to give a big shout out to two people behind the scenes, Tara, who is my kick-ass right-hand unicorn everything who does so much in the business, um, including coordinating and making sure everything on the podcast happens um, and gets out into your ears and onto iTunes or Apple Podcasts and all the places, as well as my husband, Mark, who does all the editing and tech behind the scenes to make sure that it sounds good. Um, We take our production quality pretty seriously, and we've gotten compliments on it. So thank you to Mark for all that, because we would not be there without you. Um, and again, thank you to you for listening. If you want to kick ass in your freelance career, like Connie is, whether you want to go and go full time, earn some, earn some extra cash on the side or build an agency, um, my freelance accelerator program can help you. It opens a few times a year. The best way to find out about that is to head on over to so freelance. It is linked in the show notes. 
and get yourself on the email list. I will also send you all of my best free resources on freelancing to help you kickstart right away. And yeah, I'd love to see you in Freelance Accelerator if you feel like it's a good match for you. As Connie said, we do, um, it is the exclusive place that we share freelance job opportunities as well as our students share other opportunities. And it's a great way to snatch some of those up and kickstart your career. Um, and if you enjoyed the podcast, please make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you tune in so you don't miss an episode. Thank you so much, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye.